Welcome to KCast, this is Caleb. So the other day I had a phone call with my good buddy Ken Salvera, and we talked about Tim Burton and stop motion animation and animation in general and a whole bunch of things. And this is the conversation. Well, we're going to move on to another one. I want to talk to you about Tim Burton. Oh, okay. Yes, I've been on a real Tim Burton kick. Because, as you know, I'm writing my book on great films. And I wanted to include a Tim Burton film. So, since the first iteration of the list, Ed Wood is on the list. Yes, I think so. Especially because it's kind of a film's film. It is. It's a film about film. Um, Those two, the guys who wrote it, uh, Larry and Scott, they they do a bunch of biopic stuff. So they did um, The People vs. Larry Flint and Man on the Moon and Big Eyes and one other one. So they're... Oh, and uh, Dolomite is my name. So they've they're kind of like five for five with biopics, and so even though Burton didn't write it, it's very much like they. Uh, Burton was there was they wrote it for Burton to direct and offer it to him. Yeah, and there's something I like about that film because often. A lot of times, Tim Burton gets really absorbed in his visuals, yes, and his quirky characters. But he, there's there's something a little like his characters are part of the art, but mm-hmm. they aren't really people. And Edward is one of those films where the characters are real people. And yeah, because they're literally like, real people. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like they're actual. Yeah, like it sort of elevates itself a little bit better than most Tim Burton movies where you're watching, you're, you're outside watching them, where you're drawn into the lives of the characters better. Yeah, there's a lot of pathos, for sure, in Ed Wood. Just, he's the oddball director who just had the passion for making movies and always found a way and found the money. Yeah, but I mean, Pripyat and Pathos and, uh, you know, and, and, and Epic tear-jerking, heartwarming drama. I mean, it's hard to beat Mars Attacks. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I appreciate that that was Tim making his Ed Wood movie. (laughs) Following Ed Wood. It's a $120 million budget. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I was watching today Plan 9 from Outer Space. I'm like, it's not bad. It's pretty fun. But, so, I rewatched a bunch of Tim Burton movies, just because I got in the mood, and, you know, Frank and Weenie is so damn good. It is. I hadn't seen it since it came out in theaters in, in 2012, and it's better than I remember it. It's, it's amazing how well, again, same thing as Ed Wood. There's so much heart in that film. There is. It's so so clever. Yeah. It's so clever that 
when all the animals start coming back, and you have the turtle, but they have the miracle miracle grow right there that he gets on the turtle, so he becomes the Godzilla turtle. <laughs> and then you have the cat that uh, is biting the bat when it comes back, so then the, it becomes a cat-bat hybrid. And you got the sea monkeys, and the hamster is, like, wrapped up like a mummy. Like, he gets all the monsters in there. He does. All the classic monsters <laughs> get represented as pets. <laughs> yeah. And it's and, it, and then they have to use science to figure it out. You know, uh, oh, they don't like uh, salt, so let's put salt water on the sea monkeys. And um, and it may, it's, it's so great because Sparky the dog keeps the dog personality... But the other things, the rat, you know, the hamster, they aren't these domesticated animals. So they're just going to be wild. But the real stroke of genius is having it at the science fair. That the other kids, when they find out about Sparky, they're like, oh, Victor's going to win the science fair. We got to do what he did. So they all have motive. It all makes sense. It does, and his movies don't always make narrative sense. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> when you... And this is one of the few where all the pieces actually come together. It's true. When you build a man with scissors for hands. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I rewatched Batman Returns. I'm like, that baby would not survive down there in the sewer. Was the baby raised by the penguins? I thought for a second, I'm like, maybe he was raised by the circus people? Because his gang is like all the circus members? I'm like... Yeah, Burton's just all about the evil circus people. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, maybe I could buy that if they said that. Oh, some of the circus people found him. Working but, on Batman Returns was kind of like me working with Scott Saba and getting my chronicles. Hey, I want a flying pirate ship in this scene. <laughs> okay, what are they going to do? I don't know, but I just want a flying pirate ship. It'll look cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then he returned to the circus with Dumbo. But I'm like, no, I, I mean, I would buy that if, if Penguin was raised by circus folk and... But clearly, he has not been on land for a long time. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> that is very much not. But this this uh, occurred. This um this is going to be obvious to you. But it occurred to me watching Frankenweenie. Like obviously, Burton is all about the Frankenstein story, and Edward Scissorhands is very similar to Frankenstein, right? The, the scientist creates the monster. Um, the villagers chase him out. He lives up in the castle. And Frankenweenie ends in the windmill scene where the vampire cat is attacking the dog and the dog saves Victor. I'm like, oh, the end of Batman where they go up into the clock tower, that's very similar to Frankenstein. And in those Batman movies... Tim's all about the monster. He's all about the Joker, about Penguin, about Catwoman. 
Batman's very much taking a backseat in his own story. And I'm like, oh, that the ending of Batman is the villager chasing Frankenstein, the Joker, up the windmill, up the clock tower. Oh, it was. It was a great ending, though. It was, it was a great ending. But I gotta think, like, oh, now this reminds me of Frankenstein. So. That was me kind of looking through the lens of Frankenstein. Yep. Yeah, no, you're right. He's very enamored with that that uh, that archetype. Yeah. And... I mean, there. Well, I think he did a good job of making Batman a freak among freaks too. Yeah. And just, I just uh, just there. There are things I got to revisit Batman Returns because it's you know he it suffers from pacing problems, which a lot of early Burton when it's just Burton does because he's more interested in those cool scenes than he is in yeah. like the overarching narrative. <laughs> But there are a lot of amazingly cool scenes in Batman Returns. It's so good. I, having just watched both Batmans, I'm more convinced that Returns is better than the first one. Yeah, no, in character development and acting yeah. and the intensity it is, actually. There's it's, much a, more, it's much more of a bur- true burden film than the first one was. The first one, his hands were kind of tied. <laughs> yeah, I think he... He, he was just a little more warmed up and ready with the second one. Um, Which makes that in forever all the more disappointing when you go back and look at it again. Yeah. It's like, God, it's just... Still one of the best... I mean, look, I'm not going to justify that cats made Selena come back to life. But that that is, that is so Burton, though. Yeah. You know? But, I mean, one of the best comic book scenes ever is her doing those backflips, saying meow, and then the explosion behind her. That's an all-time great scene. I, I just love when they both realize who each other are while they're dancing at the... Uh, <laughs> the yeah, level. right. <laughs> Wait, should I kiss you or should I... Hit you? <laughs> With the mistletoe <laughs> line. <laughs> And I think, I'm so confused. yeah, the and the comedy I think works better in Returns a little bit, like like that stuff between Bruce and Selena I think worked better than Bruce and Vicky. There was the I'll say after reading the original Sam Ham script, and then when I heard they cast Kim Bassinger as Vicky Vale, I said. They are gonna destroy that script <laughs> right. because Vicky Vale in that script is competent, tough as nails, uh, war zone photojournalist who angers right. the movie and literally actually figures out who Bruce Wayne is. And then <laughs> it's like Kim Basinger can't do that. And they didn't even try. They actually just said, "Oh, Alfred, let her down in that case." Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> They didn't even try to make Kim Asinger act like she could detect her way out and figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> which they do a, a funny joke about that in Batman Returns, which I appreciate. <laughs> they kind of poke fun at them. Yeah, she's, yeah. 
<laughs> there was so much stuff Burton had shoved down his throat that, you know, that script was originally much more of a dark, just straight, dark action plotted script. And it's like, we need Prince to do <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> And you and it's true. Like I mean, Prince went all out and he made a whole album. Not a lot of those songs are very memorable, but (laughs) but when they released the soundtrack, the Danny Elfman score wasn't on it at all. It was all (laughs) Prince songs, and there was a letter writing campaign. Like all the fans were like, "What the hell?" (laughs) They forced Warner Brothers didn't release a Danny Elfman score. And for some reason, I think Prince had actually negotiated that he would get the rights to the soundtrack for all of it or something. I, it was really weird. There was a huge kind of legal battle. But the Elfman score finally came out for it almost a year later. That score is yeah. masterful. It's completely ridiculous. It, release it, it is. And it's, and it's a better score than Returns. The return score is not as strong. Okay. I think he had a. It's a little too zany circus. Yeah, the the first the first movie is more serious and it fits the Wagnerian operatic themes he could play with. The second one's a little too much of a mishmash. It's kind of half Batman, half Pee Wee Herm, big top Pee Wee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. There's some really cool. I mean, there's a handful of cool Batman moments. I think when he. Uh, two come to mind when he crashes into the museum. That's a great entrance. Yep. And when he's driving Vicky to the Batcave, even though he shouldn't be doing that, when she thinks they're going to hit the wall and the wall opens and she looks back at it, that is such a cool moment. Great music in that moment too. Yeah, that is like just terrifying and cool. Um, and you know the bat plane is cool. It's a lot of cool stuff. Really stupid. The Joker shoots that down with one shot. Yeah. <laughs> in the comic book adaptation, they actually kind of added a line in there so that it sort of explains it. Where Batman goes, "Cow, explosive <laughs> mortar shells. I'm him." <laughs> oh. Or, okay, that kind of explains it. Maybe you can confirm this because I because you read the original script. I heard that the Joker's money was fake Joker money that he's giving to everyone. Yes, that was true. Because he even says, like, my face on the $10 bill that he wants to do. And there was another thing where he goes on television, he tells people he's going to give it, you know, use a special brand of medicine. Smilex. Smilex, yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, yeah. And, and, and one of my favorite lines was cut. And it's, um, so, so you know the scene where T-Face kills Robin's parents at the circus? And, but, so that scene in Batman Forever, yeah. that scene was originally in the, the Sanham script um, mm-hmm. where Joker's escaping from a bank robbery and he just crashes into the circus where Robin's parents, where the Grace's flying Graces are at. And, uh, they kind of like tweaked it and put it into the the other film and had Two Face be the uh, killer. But there's but after uh, Joker's in that van and he kind of like uses his rocket launcher and destroys the big 
top and the trapeze fall as Robin's parents plummets to their death. And Dick, Dick Grayson's charging after him. And Joker's got something. He's got he's got some kind of bomb or dynamite or henchman with guns on on his uh mm-hmm. he's got some kind of threat and Batman knows he's gonna kill Dick Grayson if he doesn't stop it. And and Grayson's a kid. He's like ten or eleven years old. And picks you know, Batman picks him up and kind of physically like lifts him off the ground and kind of bat ropes him. Um, to restrain him. And Joker says, hoo, 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 love your boyfriend. He's kind of hot. He's kind of hot. I can see that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a really <laughs> good line. I was sort of, sort of annoyed that he didn't make it. <laughs> My favorite Joker line is, what this town needs is an enema. <laughs> And, and of course, the Joker, he was he was never Joker that killed Bruce's parents. It was always the uh, Joe Chill. Joe Chill. Yeah, so that part cut, always bugs me. So when they cut Robin and made Joker the killer, that was never in the original script. That was like this time around. I appreciated Nicholson's performance more. He's just so going for it. Like, really, the best moments are kind of Joker stuff. Um, I love the Wesley get a little out of me. Yeah, I love the reveal. I love the buzzer in the hand. I love when she throws water on his face. I don't like that his face is stuck as a smile. Because Jack already has a, a villainous smile. I think you could have done it with it being stuck that way. You could have just done it with Jack running a lot. That's what the other Jokers do. I, that actually was in the original script, and I sort of liked it. Because in the comic book, his face is really elongated and distorted, which they couldn't really do with an actual human. Right, right. So they had to kind of make him a little grotesque in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think it looks odd in parts. It's supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just think it's unnecessary. I think Jack can just do a, a big grin and get away with it. Um, so, having watched Frank and Weenie, and I, I did watch, I watched Nightmare Before Christmas again. Which I hadn't seen in a while. And it's... I mean, look. Oh, did you know Robin Williams was almost the Joker? No, but I, I could definitely yeah. see that. Yep, yep. They originally, they offered it to Jack. Jack kind of molded over, didn't know if he wanted it. Then they tossed it. Then they tossed the script Robin Williams' way. And then Jack said, okay, I'll take it. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Robin Williams is so pissed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know... Jack earns the paycheck. Um, you, you, you know, I'm sure he never got the note, you're going too big with it. <laughs> it's impossible to go too big. I always, I always loved when the crew of Superman 1 like, figured out how that Marlon Brando was making $8 a second. That he <laughs> <laughs> that was a huge 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Like, I don't want to be an actor. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. So, I rewatched Nightmare as well. And, of course, it's a masterpiece. It's it's stunning. It's great. Um, I think the best song is still, like, what's this? What's this? There's right things in the air. Um, They're all pretty good, actually. There they are. Like, yeah, I think that one's just my favorite. Claws, chop him into bits. <laughs> yeah, and I love the the boogeyman song. It was great. Um, I think it's just it's so packed that there's there's no time for pathos. It, it doesn't slow down enough. No, it. it like other Burton films, it has pacing issues. Yeah. Although it's easier to understand. They, I don't, no one had tried doing a stop-motion film like this big ever. Yeah. So it's it's easy to understand. Like you can't go back and recut scenes to get the right. pacing right. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. So, I mean, you know, definitely a masterpiece. I'm not taking any of that away. But it's like, I also think it's perfect when you're 13 and you just want the the hyper caffeinated version of the movie yeah I, I felt like he did a much it's too bad it's so small and short yeah but I felt like he nailed the emotions better in Corpse Bride oh interesting yeah and which I didn't rewatch but I mean Frank and Winnie just feels a little more mature yeah. audience Frank and Winnie's even better than the other two. Yeah. yeah. It it it's not it doesn't quite. It just feels more of a complete movie. This is the pathos. Yeah. This is the yeah. emotional drive. Nightmare Before Christmas gave us a few more iconic characters than Frank and Winnie did, but Frank and yeah. the better film. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of an overall. So then I, I was faced with like, you know, I want Burton on this list. Um, it's, to me, it became between Ed Wood and Frankenweenie. Really? Um, not Big Fish, huh? Not Big Fish and not Beetlejuice, which those are two of my favorites. But I, I realize Beetlejuice is not, you know, the best top two or three. I, it just, I happen to like it a lot. Not and, no, and sorry, it wasn't going to be Edward Scissorhands. I have too many issues with that movie. Um, but so with Frank and Winnie, <laughs> no, great, but you know, he, he, that was a good, like debut, really strong debut. <laughs> rush, rush, rush. <laughs> um, to, to be fair, to be fair, Pee Wee Paul Rubens was pretty much a great special effect in and of himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just saying that 
that run, his his run is so impressive. When you go from Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Returns, Nightmare Before Christmas, then Ed Wood, like what a run! From basically eighty-five to ninety, like at that ten-year run, is almost unmatched. Then he gets really uneven. Yeah. <laughs> like Mars Attacks. Yeah, then it's Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, and Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah, that's of those three, Mars Attacks is easily the best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which which is not saying much. And it's sad because Sleepy Hollow actually should have been a lot better than it was. If that makes sense. Like, yeah, be, yeah, it should be really good. Scare, this movie should have given me shivers and chills to my bone. Yeah. And it still looks great, but it doesn't scare me at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why either, you know. Um, maybe he was just kind of coasting by then. You know, those, I mean, Mars Attacks isn't supposed to be good, so could a pass? I mean, you kind of get the but yeah, glimmers of, of good in, in Sweeney Todd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sweeney Todd, is, I mean, the, the biggest problem with Sweeney Todd is they're just not great singers. Oh, it's true. They aren't. So they're just not like, Helena Boehm Carter is an okay singer, Sasha Baron Cohen, like... Um. It, so it works as a story more than I don't know. Good movie, bad musical. Maybe that's it. <laughs> um. But then, yeah. I mean, after Planet Apes, he kind of returns to form with Big Fish, and, and you I, you got to see that. You got to see Big Fish. It's worth seeing. And then. Uh, Charlie and Chocolate Factory still can't get on board. People really, no, I mean, I critics like that movie, though. It, it got, like, good reviews. The only parts the of that movie like I like are the parts where he diverted from the original. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Like, with Christopher Lee as the dentist. Oh, that, that kind of makes sense. That's sort of cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like the Chocolate Cows. Um, I hated the cloned Oompa Loompas. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, it's such a shot-for-shot shot remake in so many ways, and every time, it's lacking the charm of the original. It and is. without the charm, it just becomes creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, it, you, you, it, you can't be Gene Wilder in that, nope. in that original. He's just too good. He's, yeah. I mean, Johnny Depp tried to do something different, but he came across kind of like Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Really unfortunate time in Michael Jackson's career. <laughs> it's true. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it was just all wrong. They should have just made Charlie in the Greek class elevator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I enjoy Dark Shadows. That was kind of a guilty pleasure. I have not seen <laughs> it is very uneven like the the humor doesn't work fully it's too much of a comedy but it is entertaining and I actually liked the old soap opera you did <laughs> there you go I never saw the 
the old soap. Um, so I think I think that was it. I think I had my hopes so high for that film, and then the reviews were terrible. I'm like, oh man, I don't want to watch this now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't want to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, in the end, I think I'm still going to go with Ed Wood over Frankenweenie. Because I think Frankenweenie is, like, I already, well, one, I already have Bride of Frankenstein on my list, um, which I reviewed. It's a little too dependent on what came before it, both the, the short and other Frankenstein movies. Um. It's, there's not one false beat in Frank and Weenie. Um, Ed Wood, though, is just so unique about we're going to tell this guy's story. It's going to be compelling. You know, and that's, that's, that's another actually great reason to, to pick it is because there's never actually been another film quite like it. Yeah. A film about a director? I mean, it's a great biopic. Um. I think I I might have just two beefs with that movie, and one is there's the scene where Ed meets the woman in the bar, and he thinks that she's gonna finance his movie because she's paying with twenties or hundreds. It's like oh and oh she must be rich, and she's like how much does the movie cost? And he's like oh sixty thousand. She's like oh that's not that much. Uh, do you want to be a producer on it? I'll give you a part. Yeah, sure. So he's thinking, oh, she's going to fund the whole thing. There's a scene where the people come for the money, and he asks her, like, hey, you got the rest of that money? She's like, oh, no, I only had 350 bucks that I gave you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, really? You wouldn't check that out beforehand? <laughs> there was no follow-up discussion to how much money are you putting up for this. So, does that mean Denny Elfman gets money for every Simpsons episode and Batman animated series episode? I think so. It's a piece of that. Danny Elfman lives in large. That's true. He does not fit in the Star Wars universe. It's kind of a shame that they that Elfin gets all that credit for Batman the Animated Series because the real hero is Shirley Walker. Yeah, yeah, her score is really good. I mean, just just because they used it for the intro. They actually did, like, uh, the Edges uh, intro for the Batman. Yeah. That that show's better than people give it credit for. Yeah, I never really dove in. Uh, The action scenes are amazing. It's it's the same anime kind of Murakaname. I saw the one where he fights Dracula. That was great. <laughs> that is literally one of my favorite Batman movies of all time. Yeah. I remember it's, so, it's the only one where Batman literally gets his behind handed to him throughout the entire film, which is 
You know, yeah. honestly, Batman shouldn't be just knocking over 20 thugs without blinking an eye. That's not really that fun. <laughs> right. You want Batman to be fighting somebody who could totally destroy him in a physical battle, and he needs to use his wits, that razor-sharp detective mind of his, to figure out how to beat the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, it's the only Batman-like animated film... I, the, the thing I loved about the original animated series was he was very human. Like, he could take on three or, three or four thugs, but a fifth one all at the same time, he would sort of need Robin's help. Yeah. That's a good Which, line. You know, yeah. Like, he was a much more realistic Batman. Yeah. Uh, to your memory, did, did Catwoman ever have any powers, or was she just a hooker? The hooker part was all Frank Miller. Oh. Um, <laughs> that was the Frank Miller year one. I, who I mean, who I, made her a hooker? Frank Miller. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> I don't remember her ever having like the nine lives thing. Nothing yeah. like Frank Miller. Like all of his female yeah. characters are hookers. <laughs> That's why he wrote Sin City. Hey, if that makes sense, they can all be hookers. <laughs> <laughs> It's a feeling there's relationship issues with that guy. Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> but the um, I don't no, think Catwoman ever had any powers, though. No, never. She was just Timber a gave her powers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was always just the best thief in the world. Basically, was her power. Michelle Pfeiffer's so good, though. She's so pot committed. She just chews the scenery. She and I'm not sure I she did. I'm actually ate a bird. I'm really glad Christopher Walken played him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we definitely didn't need Max Shrek's adult son as part of the subplot, where Penguin's like, "I'm going to take your son down here," and Max is like, "No, take me." Oh yeah, that was. And Max's son's like, you know, six foot jock. Well, I really, I really liked all the emperor penguins who drag him into the water after he dies. That was such a touching. Moment. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Yeah, <laughs> that was his Viking funeral. Later, <laughs> <laughs> and come on, who doesn't love penguins with like you know rockets? You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to take over the city. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is that is far better than Joker's like I'm gonna blow up two boats thing. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I think I'm going to go Ed Wood over Frankenweenie. Because also, Ed Wood is like, that's prime Burton. That, that's 1994, during that run. That was like his, you know, his period of, of greatness. And just the similarities between them both being directors, them both having, like, uh, Burton had a friendship with Vincent Price. Ed Wood had a friendship with Bela Lugosi. Those parallels are so strong. Um, Burton being into Ed Wood movies and that stuff, the, the kitschy stuff. Um, yeah, and, and even though there's, there's those moments, and Burton always homages his childhood loves, yeah. that film feels authentically like its own story, not just an homage. Yeah. And, you know, Burton from Burbank and so much of Ed Wood movies were all in 
LA and the Valley. Uh, it just kind of works. Um, so, but it got me thinking of... I, I literally, it's one of the few like times I walked out of that film, I remember seeing it in the theater with one of my Disney friends, and we were just both shell-shocked. We were yeah. just, wow, what did we just see? That was really <laughs> something. <laughs> Yeah, did you kind of think like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know Burton had it in him. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. It was. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, and he never really found thoughtful. it again, except for Frank and Winnie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, that was all my heart and soul. Now I just want a paycheck. Yeah, it gives, we need something that looks really weird and Burton-esque. Who can direct that? What I'm saying is, Big Fish comes the closest. It's about a, a son's dying father, and he's thinking about the father's story and memories and trying to tell the story. But you get the same, you get the magical realism of all the Burton stuff. But because it's told in flashback as a story, as like a tall tale, it's like, oh, I get why this is an exaggerated story. It kind of makes sense. It's a little Forrest Gump in that way. Um, so, but Frank and Winnie got me thinking about stop motion. Like, is there a place for stop motion on the list? So I was thinking, like, well, where are the greats? And I realized, like, oh, I never actually saw Wallace and Gromit and The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. That's pretty awesome. Or the... I haven't seen Shaun the Sheep, which I heard was also pretty awesome. Shaun the Sheep I did see, and that is awesome. Um... It's just yeah, a very it's a it's a quiet movie because the sheep doesn't talk. So it's, I, there, it's almost a silent is, movie. There there is one film I would notch higher than Frank and Weenie and Nightmare. Coraline? Stop motion. Yep. Coraline, yeah. That's a perfect film. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna rewatch Coraline. It um, is just the right amount of funny but creepy. Putting a child in danger, like like just the scene where she's falling asleep with the, the little dolls of her parents is so sad. You know, after she spends most of the movie like bemoaning how lame they are. <laughs> yeah. And she really is in danger. Like it's like that witch is scary. Yeah. And that's a Neil Gaiman story, if I remember. We need to put buttons in your eyes. Right. <laughs> I need buttons. <laughs> And, and all the way the sets are, are you know, these happy, these three set, four set, three set pieces, the garden, the, uh, the forcibles, and the, uh, yeah, Mr., the, the Russian guy upstairs, and how they're, they're kind of happy, normal, they're, they turn from normal, bland, to super happy, to super dangerous, like dark. Mm. And it's really neat to see those sets transform. Yeah. With the, the characters. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to rewatch that one. Um, um, so, the, the other one I was thinking of is the Fantastic Mr. Fox. No. No? Really? Are you not a fan? No. I like it a lot, but it's... it's I, you know, any of the other ones you mentioned would go higher on my list. Okay, well, I mean, I was looking just... I was Googling, like, best stop-motion movies, and that one kept appearing in, like, the top five, you know, top oh, five, top ten. 
And I, I mean, Isle of Dogs, the other Wes Anderson one is, is amazing too. Those two, but out of those two, I'd probably go Fox as that came first. That was Wes Anderson's first stop motion. And it's Rodal, which of course is great. Um, and I think there was, there was another Wallace and Gromit one. Uh, the, the trousers. I don't think that's I saw that short. one either. Oh, that, oh, that's a short. Okay. That's not, yeah. That is brilliant. Try it down yeah. and watch it. <laughs> okay, I'll watch that. And I'll watch Where Rabbit because it's probably worth seeing Where Rabbit. Um, w- w- would you put Chicken Run up there? This is still probably my favorite Wallace and Gromit, but Where Rabbit's number two. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, do I need to revisit Chicken Run? <laughs> That's really, really, really good. It's it probably is, yeah. not as strong as, as uh, Were Rabbit or Shaun of the Sheep, from what I understand. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. It's got a few great lines. Oh, she's on holiday. <laughs> like, um, or I love when, when the Scottish chicken's like, oh, 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 is that English she's speaking? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> well, it's funny because Coraline is is Lakia, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, like, yeah, Lyca. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, Paranorman is great, but the middle kind of drags. The, I mean, it doesn't drag as much as it's uneventful. Yeah, it, the middle. It's kind of a chase film, but it doesn't really do anything. It, it is, yeah. My, upon, I watched it around Halloween again. and It's an entertaining chase, but it doesn't really do a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the, the middle is kind of spinning wheels to get to the third act, which is amazing. <laughs> yes, and the third act is amazing, but the middle is spinning wheels to get there. Yeah, something so... <laughs> else I love about Coraline, it all matters. It all matters, yeah, yeah. So I think that's why I'm not putting Paranorman in the conversation. Uh, I would I would have put Kubo uh, and the Two Strings before Paranorman. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I could see that. In I mean, should Fritz the Cat be in the conversation? <laughs> <laughs> according according to uh, according to my students, who I, I accidentally mentioned Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings, so they track down his other stuff. Uh, yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, dang! I have to stop talking about his Lord of the Rings because they're going to start looking up his other stuff. Your, your <laughs> poor innocent high school students. <laughs> it's an interesting question, though, because it's what about a you know adult quote animation? You know, there, there hasn't been a lot. Uh, rotoscope. No, of like this is an animated movie, but it's it's for adults. It's it's an older maturity age bracket. Yeah, Bakshi pretty much held the market on those for most yeah. of the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But I did like his Lord of the Rings a lot when I saw it. I, I, I've still never seen them. Should I watch them? I should oh, watch the them. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yes. I, I never saw the animated ones. 
As a matter of fact, you should watch the animated Hobbit. It's better than Jackson's. <laughs> well, I believe that. And, I mean, the, the production and it's a lot shorter. Yes, the production value quality isn't, but the actual like heart and the storytelling. Yeah, much more, much more like the book. <laughs> like you watch the animated movie, the book's a lot more like the animated movie than the Jackson. The book was always a children's book. He wrote that. 17 years before Lord of the Rings. And when he wrote it, he didn't know he was going to make Lord of the Rings. Alright, so I'll check that out. I'm, I'm going to check out Fritz, just out of curiosity. Um, and then, I want to check out Yellow Submarine. That's a trip. That That's should fun. be worth saying. Yeah, that should be fun, right? <laughs> yeah, because I want to put more animation on my list and I, I think we're both going to disagree with this but I've been thinking of Shrek lately because it was kind of a it feels like it was a game changer it feels like it was just very it was like a big cultural moment of like the first big DreamWorks movie the first one to win best animated it was subversive um, but I could easily, I mean, put, you know, Wally or the Incredibles or some, some Pixar above it. Or anything by Miyazaki. Or that, well, I'm, it's, it, they're American films. This list specifically is American film. I, I didn't hate Shrek, um. I love Shrek, and it's so unique and good, but um, obviously Toy Story is already on the list, so that covers the Toy Stories. But, I mean, I'm thinking I may have to go to... Or, would you do this? Would you say, not Incredibles, I'm going to go the Iron Giant. Oh, definitely better than Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> better than, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think I think if you ask most critics, they would say it was the best, uh, best animated film of the nineties, and the nineties yeah. gave us Disney at their heyday. <laughs> so that's, that's true. Fans. Well, I mean, so the ones I have that I reviewed so far, I have. Pinocchio, Beauty and the Beast, and Toy Story. So if you were to ask me... And I'd like, like to do perfect, one more. Perfect animated films. Um, I would probably... Like, Coraline and Iron Giant would definitely be on my, my list. With Aladdin and... Um, is it, that's, that's a tough call, because I... I love, love, love Aladdin to death, but I kind of think Iron Giant has just a tad more heart to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but Aladdin's another one of those like great mouse detective. Ron and John just write tight animated scripts. Like Aladdin continues to amaze me because of all the Disney films, Aladdin's the movie where every character has a motive. Every character's got an arc. Oh, yeah, I mean, Aladdin is definitely my second favorite Disney. Yeah, for me, it's Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. 
And, and, and from Beauty and the Beast, if you've got to pick one of those fairy tale ones, it's perfect. Yeah, that, yeah, that's why that, of the Renaissance uh, ones, I I kind of had to pick Beauty and the Beast. It was um, interesting. I just saw Glenn Keane's Over the Moon the other night. Oh, that was great. Oh, okay, you, you liked it. I did. I liked it. Um, I mentioned it in email. I mean, I think the the second half is way too psychedelic, long. These kind of long sequences of colors and brightness and. Yeah, love the colors, but none of it sort of makes any sense. So all the it's it's one of those things where the danger doesn't feel dangerous because anything can happen, so you don't know what is dangerous, and then it's like it's just wacky. Yeah. But there is, I, I did a little research into the legend it's based on, and they would have done so much better to give us a little bit more of that backstory. Yeah. The real story is that she was kind of a spoiled princess brat. The guy she was in love with, uh, he was an archer, and what he did was he shot down, there were, I guess there were originally a bunch of different suns in the sky and he shot them all down because it was too hot mm. and then um, and then when she there's a reason why she floated up to the moon after he he died but while he was alive while she was stuck up there and he was alive he would bake her the moon cakes so she could eat because she had nothing to eat and after, so that's why people bake moon cakes is to keep her alive because you know her love has died He's not making cakes for her anymore. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, it was a little, there's a little bit more backstory into how his shooting down all the suns helped create the moon the way it is, mm-hmm. with the piping that you kind of heard. Anyway, and I was sort of surprised that they glossed all that over, because it, it would have added more meaning to it, but I, I guess the point of it was they were trying to mirror... The fact that she lost a loved one and needed to move on, and the little girl lost her mom and needed to move on. And yeah, that was you know that was what they were trying to mirror between the characters. It was interesting because it kind of reminded me of how I set up my summer a little bit. Yeah. Uh, what really broke my heart was I found out the gal who wrote it actually had cancer and knew she was going to die. And wrote it for her daughter so her daughter would let go of her. Who wrote Over the Moon? Yes. Oh, really? Wow. There's a credit at the end that says In Her Memory. Oh, interesting. Did you ever see a, an animated movie called Watership Down? Yes. 1978. It's a really grim film. <laughs> 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 Finally, some adult animation. That is just a wow. I'm like, what is this? I mean, I'm in captured, but these but they're terrifying. It's like Call of the Wild survival rabbit nightmare. Well, okay. Death bunnies. So, not a fan, I take it. <laughs> I, I liked it. I you liked it a lot, it, but it's, I was maybe a little young. <laughs> This is this is not Bambi and Thumper, no. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I think I was a little young when I saw Little Nemo. That movie disturbed me a little bit. It's cr- a little creepy. It's a, yeah, it's a creepy ass movie. <laughs> Nemo and Slumberland. 
Yeah, it's... It's, it's a good, but it's a acid trip. That, that's right. It's an acid trip. That's yeah. a good way to put it. <laughs> it's a weird one. Yeah. So nothing really from DreamWorks needs to be in the conversation, right? How to Train Your Dragon. That might be the best one. I think that's probably the best one. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's definitely more solid than Shrek. Shrek was just kind of iconic. I'd say the animation quality is a lot better in Dragon as well, but that was... Yeah, no, it is for sure. And, I mean, I think the, the sequels were solid, but the first one's the best. Yes. The sequels were not, not disappointing. But. You know what's a good film is The Secret of Nim. Yes, it's a great film. That's, Someone just, uh, just pointed that they... Um, Dom Bluth. The, uh, the, there's a sword fight in Secret of Nim, and it's a shot-for-shot recreation of an old um, sword and sandals movie with Kurt Douglas. Oh really? Yeah, he basically—I don't know—it's not a rotoscope, but they—they they definitely like recreated that sword fight for all of their uh, all mm-hmm. of the um, the movements between the mice. Someone <laughs> just posted <laughs> on Facebook. I'm like, oh my gosh, totally stole this. But at least he stole it from a movie nobody remembered watching from 40 years ago. So <laughs> <laughs> the choreography was it's just. Was DreamWorks, it, was that like Quest for Camelot and uh, uh, the Road Eldorado? That was not DreamWorks. Road, El, Road Eldorado was DreamWorks. Quest for Camelot was Warner Brothers trying to make a Disney film oh. <laughs> and not copying it very well. <laughs> Prince of Egypt, that was DreamWorks, right? You know, that's why uh, Iron Giant didn't get any market. Um, why? Because of Quest for Camelot? So, Quest for Camelot was micromanaged by a bunch of executives into a Disney wannabe movie. And they even hired away one of our Disney executives to to oversee its production. And he got there and he said, oh, it looks like you're... When they did all this reworking on it, he said, it looks like you're polishing a turd. (laughs) (laughs) And um, and they spent all this money and marketed it. it. it, it it did okay, but it sort of semi flopped. Yeah. <laughs> and Brad Bird, Brad Bird saw how badly they were messing with it to try to make it into a Disney hit when he was in pre production on Iron Giant. He said, What's my budget on Iron Giant? Like 60 million. You know your budget, 60 million. And he said, What's my budget to go away, leave me alone, and let me make this movie the way I want to make it? And they jokingly told him half. <laughs> And he said, I'll take it. And he got a bunch of animators to work overtime for free. He didn't quite get it done for 30. I think it was 35 or 40. But still, it was well under what the original budget was. And it was great. And the executive said, if this movie comes out and it's a hit, we're all going to look really bad. (laughs) So they deliberately tanked the marketing so it wouldn't sell. (gasps) Sabotage. Tim Burton was actually an artist on the Lord of the Rings animated. Was he really? He was, yeah. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> He's credited as an artist in 1978. And he was an animator on both The Fox and the Hound and Tron. That I remember hearing. And 
an artist on the Black Cauldron. Oh, I love the Black Cauldron. You can totally, I mean, pieces of it. You can yeah. completely see the burden in that movie. <laughs> There's a much better version of that film that Ron and John pitched that they didn't use. So I'd love to see them get a shot at, at remaking. Yeah. All right, that's KCAST for this week. This is Caleb and Kent signing off.